Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, if you've been around for for a little while, you may have heard me mention that we got a new puppy on uh, Easter weekend. And I wanted to share with you this morning something that we have trained her to do. And uh, so anyway, I'll just let you watch the video. Take take a look. This has to do with her, her feeding time. So... So at dinner time, Honey likes to watch us get the food out. Starts getting her a little bit excited about dinner. And then she waits for us to put it down for her. And we wait for a little bit of drool. So, so, so we wanted to, to train her to, to have some manners, you know, when it's time to eat. We didn't want her jumping up at us and all of that. Um, I have to zoom in on this because I don't know if you could see. We have to zoom in on the drool because it's just, I, I think it's hilarious. Um, this is the only time it happens, but anyway. So my family thinks I'm torturing her because, of my, I mean, Pavlov, you know, what can I say? And so, anyway, I want to show you one other thing, which also has to do with food, but we, we're training her with treats to do something. Take a look at this. So this is a game we play with Honey called It's Your Choice. And we want Honey to make the choice to not take the food out of our hand, but to wait for us to give it to her. Good job. And she's ready for it when we give it to her. And then we put it on the floor. There it is. Good job for waiting. Showing a lot of self-control. He's closer to her. Good job. All right, so why did I show that to you? So we, I, I wanted to show that to you because we're wanting to train Honey that when it comes to food, food is not hers to take, it is ours to give. And so there's two reasons behind that. One is that we just, we want her to know like who's in charge. Like, you know, you're not in charge. You don't get food whenever you want. You need to wait for us to give it to you. But secondly, it's really a safety issue because she would eat anything that falls on the floor if we don't train her, including chocolate. I mean, we, we all love chocolate, right? And she would love chocolate as well. But 
if you know, chocolate is, is poisonous to, to dogs. And so we're really trying to train her. We're not just trying to be mean. I heard all these like, oh, you know, it's like you're torturing her. I mean, we're, we're really just trying to train her for, her for her own good. And there's a parallel in this in our relationship with God. I mean, God promises to meet our needs, but sometimes we try to take matters into our own hands, and we try to do it on our timetable, in our way, and usually when we do that, we, we make a mess of things. And so a, a few examples, um, it could be a, a business person who says, uh, I'm, I'm not real happy with where our finances are, so we're going to do some creative accounting. I mean, that's a nice way to put it. We're going to fudge our books a, a, little bit, a, a little bit, taking matters into our own hands. Relationships. Um, it's very common to, to rush sex and not wait for the covenant protection of a marriage relationship, taking matters into our own hands, doing it our own way. In conflict, very common to, to seek revenge on someone who has hurt us instead of waiting and trusting that God is going to bring about justice in his time and in his, his perfect way. So when we take for ourselves, instead of waiting for God to give, what happens is we're, we're forfeiting the blessing that God wants to give to us. And we're oftentimes incurring a consequence in the process. And this morning, we're, we're going to see a scene with someone who is faced with that choice. Am I going to take or am I going to wait? And we're going to get some motivation, hopefully, for the situations that we may be in that we are facing that same choice. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one on the seat close to you. 1 Samuel 24 is on page 24. I've had a couple of people ask me this morning about the, the David show at Sight and Sound. If you've been here the last number of weeks, you know a group of us went out there yesterday. Can I just say unqualified? Like, it is phenomenal. Like, I walked out. Like, I've seen several shows there. This was the first time I walked out. I'm like, I'm ready to buy a ticket and just go right back and see it again. It's not just because it's called David. I mean, it's just, it's just phenomenal. So if you haven't seen it yet, you have till the end of the year to see it. So highly recommended that you, you make your way over there to see it. Shady Maple, like, not so much. Like, that was a little bit disappointing. The show was definitely much better than that. All right, we're looking at 1 Samuel 24. You, many of you are familiar with the scripture uh, from, from 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. So as we are studying the life of David, from the Hebrew scriptures, we are learning things that are useful to us for teaching, reproof, correcting, training, and righteousness. So last week we saw Saul closing in on David. David barely got away when, when God intervened at the last moment with a message that the Philistines were coming. So Saul had to leave, go. He, he was distracted by the Philistines, had to go run and take care of them. Today, Saul is going to resume his hunt of David. So starting in verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. 
If you were here last week, you, you'll remember the, the pictures that we saw of the oasis there at En It was a beautiful place for them to have a little bit of a respite. Verse 2, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Okay, now pause. Okay, look up. Okay, don't, don't read. Okay. Okay, let's take a moment before we see how, how David responded. I want to make a few observations before we read on here. Okay, the first observation is that that we're not going to show a painting of this scene uh, this morning for obvious reasons. If you've been here the last few weeks, sometimes we put up kind of a vintage-looking painting. We're not doing that this morning. Secondly, Saul is as vulnerable in this moment as he can possibly be. He is alone. He is, he, he's laid down his weapons. He is completely compromised in this moment. Thirdly, third observation is, there is no record of God saying what David's men said that God said. Okay, what we just read here in verse 4. Here's the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm giving your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. We, we don't have that anywhere. God didn't say that. Here's the closest thing that, that we have, and it's actually something that Jonathan said to David. Maybe the men heard, got wind of this. I'll, we'll put this up on the screen. Um, Dave, Jonathan said to David, Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So if you're, if you're catching it, this is a completely different idea uh, that Jonathan said. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies versus David's men saying, you can do to your enemy what seems good to you. The, the last observation before we read on is, th this is a really remarkable turn of events. If you were here last week, you know that Saul said that God had given David into his hand, which was not the case. And so this week, what is actually happening is that God has given Saul into David's hands. And so the question is, what is David going to do? And bef again, before we read on, imagine what is going through David's mind at this moment. This crazy chase that he has been on, this pressure that he has been under now for years could come to an end right now. And so he could get out from under this threat. He could now feel safe. And even more than that, the people that he cares about could feel safe because he knows that everybody who's close to him, everybody that cares about him, everybody that he cares about is under threat right now from Saul. All of that could be done. And then you have all the pressure of his men breathing down his neck. I mean, imagine 600, imagine how much loyalty it would take for 600 men to be following David for years through these caves, running away from Saul. And they're all seeing this, and they're like, this is it. This, this can all come to an end right now. What's he going to do? Let's, now let's read on in verse 4. So David, here's what his men has to say, and he arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, 
because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. What did David do? He let him get away. I mean, after everything that he's been through, after all this pressure from, from these guys, even though, I mean, his, his men are chomping at the bit to take Saul out. David has to restrain them. In verse 7, when it says David persuaded, that, that word persuaded, that's a really tame translation of that word. Some of you may, if you're reading the NIV, the, the NIV says he sharply rebuked his men. The Hebrew word actually means to tear in two. So it's used of birds uh, when they're being sacrificed, that the birds were torn in two. It's used of Samson tearing a lion in two. So really what this is saying here is that David tore into his men and he said, you're not going to do this. We're, we're not going there. You're, you're not going to attack Saul. This whole situation, this is a huge test of character for David. We've seen David's faith tested over and over and over again. This is a test of character for for David, and he passes. And here's what David models for us. Don't take by force what has been promised by grace. Don't take by force what has been promised to you by grace. See, David was promised the kingship by grace. It wasn't anything he was trying to get for himself. God, just out of all the people of, of the nation, chose him and, and picked him. And he promised that he would be the next king. Basically, God held out in his sovereign hand this offer to David. And at this moment, he's saying, are you going to take it from me or are you going to wait for me to give it to you. If you take it, if you cut corners, which actually David literally did, if you, if you cut corners, you're going to forfeit the full blessing. And, and David cuts a corner, but he is immediately convicted because he's a man after God's heart. In verse 5, it says, Afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. See, David knows that in, in his heart there was something deeper going on here than, than just damaging his clothing. He knows what that robe represented. That, that robe was the royal robe of the king. And David at this moment is flirting with, taking for himself, what God has promised to give to him. But David, because he's a man after God's heart, waits. He chooses to wait for God's timing, and he takes the high road and lets Saul go. Let's read on verse 8. Afterward, David also arose, and he went out of the cave, called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. 
I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Before we see Saul's response, I want to make a few more observations. First, David humbles himself before Saul. I mean, he calls him my Lord. He bows. He calls him the Lord's anointed. He calls himself a dead dog and a flea. He's humbling himself. He recognizes that Saul has issues, but he is showing respect to the office that Saul holds. Secondly, David humbles himself before Saul, but he doesn't lower himself to Saul's level. He's not going to take Saul's, Saul's tactics here. He quotes this proverb in verse 13, out of the wicked comes wickedness. So David's reflecting positively. He wants this proverb to reflect positively on himself, saying, I don't want wickedness coming out of me because that's a reflection on my heart. The proverb also reflects poorly, re- reflects negatively on Saul because there's been a lot of wickedness coming out of him. And David says, I'm not going to lower myself there. Jesus said, the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus also said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So David's very intentional about referring to Saul as the Lord's anointed. David himself is the Lord's anointed. And he knows that one day he will be in that position and he will be subject to in danger of the same danger that Saul has of somebody taking his life, coming after him. And he says, I don't want that. So I'm not going to do that to someone else. The, The third thing is that David entrusts himself and the whole situation into God's hands and into God's timing. I mean, listen to the cascade of verbs here in verse 15. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Anytime in Hebrew narrative, when, when you see a cascade of verbs just piling on top of each other, there's a dramatic moment there. And David is recognizing he's just driving a stake in the sand. He knows what he came really close to doing, and he says, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to wait for the Lord's timing. David's not in denial, but he knows that for him to take Saul out is above his pay grade. So he's not He's going to reaffirm his submission to God's plan. Don't take by force what has been promised by grace. Now, let's see Saul's response. Verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? 
And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you, and you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. This is remarkable here. We have to pause for a moment and say, I mean, Saul has been obsessed with preventing David from being his successor, both verbally and in all of his actions. He's been trying to stop this succession. This is the first time he acknowledges that, David, I, I see it. You're, you're going to be king. So in verse 21, he says, Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So this ends with kind of a seeming truce. I mean, it seems like Saul is sincere. I mean, he recognizes in verse 18. He says, you, you've dealt well with me and that you didn't kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. He's recognizing God's hand in this finally. So it kind of seems like they've come to a place of, of truce. And there is a break in the chase. So next week, we're, we're going to look at the next chapter, and Saul actually doesn't even show up. Wow, what a, finally a sigh of relief. Of course, there's another enemy that David needs to deal with. But, but Saul, we have a break from. But, but even though it seems like there's a truce here, David still doesn't trust Saul, and for good reason. So Saul went home, 22 says, verse 22. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. They continue in hiding because David suspects, I, I don't think, this is, is really over yet. David is remarkable in choosing the high road here. It would have been so easy for him to justify killing Saul in this moment. I mean, Saul has already murdered, executed how many innocent people? We, we saw him execute priests and then their families and their, their animals. And so He's already killed innocent people. There are other innocent people who are under threat. Saul has been, at best, an inconsistent leader. We could probably go so far as to say he's a pretty bad leader. It would be easy for David to justify this is really the right thing to do. And not to mention the pressure that is on David. These men standing around him wanting for this to, to be over. It's really easy for the loud voices of people around us shouting and putting pressure to drown out the quiet voice of God's spirit inside of us. But David did not want to do anything that was going to forfeit any of the blessing that God had for him. And David didn't want to do anything that threatened to come between him and the Lord and mess up their relationship. So the question for us today is, what about you and what about me? Have we ever justified taking by force what has been promised by grace? 
maybe you've been that business person who has engaged in creative accounting, and you justified it by saying, I mean, taxes are ridiculous, and what do they take our taxes for and use it for? This is all, this, this, that isn't right. So, uh, and besides, I need to take care of my people who, who work for me, and so I don't want to siphon off money for useless purposes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it here, or my, my business is in danger of going under. So all of these justifications for cutting corners and doing things in a manner that is, is not God-honoring. Or maybe you have justified rushing sex outside of the protection and the sacrament of a, a marriage relationship, the safety of a marriage relationship. We justify that by, by saying, well, we're, we're going to get married. We know that's going to happen, so it, it really doesn't matter if we, if we rush it first. Or maybe marriage isn't even in the picture, and we're saying, you know, this is a a natural way of expressing affection that God wired into me. We justify ourselves in that the ends justify the means. Or in conflict, we, we justify taking revenge because we say, wow, this person really needs to be stopped. They really need somebody to communicate to him that this was not okay because we don't want them doing it to somebody else. So somebody needs to teach them a lesson. God's not acting fast enough, so I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure they learn something out of this. It's really easy to justify jumping ahead of God, taking matters into our own hands. But when we do that, we usually, can I dare say, always mess things up. David faced a great temptation here to take matters into his own hands. But he made the God-honoring choice. Jesus was faced with a very similar kind of temptation. I mean, when the devil tempted him, he, the, the devil came to him offering him a shortcut. We'll put Matthew 4 up on the screen here. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. A shortcut, an opportunity for Jesus to reach out and take by force what has been promised by his Father in heaven by, by grace. Jesus knows he is destined to rule over all the kingdoms of the world, all the people who have ever lived. Every knee will bow to him. He knows that is his destiny, and the devil offers to him a shortcut to say, you know what, you can get there faster if you do it my way, and you can skip all of the suffering parts. You can skip the, the cross part and the sacrifice part, and Jesus says, he's faced with that choice, what am I going to do, and, and his response he said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus knew that he has been commissioned with a mission, much like David. David was chosen for a mission to be king, and Jesus had a mission to be king, but before that, to, to suffer and to offer his life as a sacrifice, and his life had to be perfect and flawless and sinless in order to offer as a sacrifice. So the shortcut was not going to work. And he would forfeit the blessing. 
which we should pause there and just, just marinate on that point for a moment because the blessing that Jesus would have forfeited was you and me. That, that's pretty staggering that Jesus would consider us even to be a blessing, as full of fault as we are, as prone to grab by force for ourselves as we are instead of waiting for him. And yet, Jesus loves you and me so much that he said, I, I want to make a way for you to be connected to your Father in heaven and to spend eternity with him. And so he was willing to say, I'm not going to take the shortcut. I'm going to take the long path and the hard path and do it God's way. And so, because he was willing to do that, for you and I who have cut corners, who have tried to take things by force, who have done so many things not God's way, I hope, I hope that you're doing more and more things God's way. But let's just be honest, that even, even as we grow and we're hopefully, we we're, we're, we sin less than we used to. Let's just be honest to say we're not sinless, and we need to continue to be covered by the grace of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus to cover over your sin, then please make today your day. Please, as we end the service, we're going to sing a song after this, and then we're going to have our prayer team come up. Please, please come up. We would love the opportunity to pray with you, to talk with you more about that, to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers, the cleansing that he offers, the cleansing that he's able to offer because he chose not to reach out and take by force what God had promised to give him by grace. And now this salvation that God offers, we don't grasp for ourselves by, by force. We receive it as a gift. Some of you may be still trying to grab that salvation for yourself. You're, you're trying to work for it. You're trying to make God indebted to you because you're doing enough good deeds. It doesn't work that way. He offers it as a gift of grace that we receive, and then our good works come after that as an offering of gratitude, not as an attempt to, to make him owe us something. So I want to end this morning with a, a, a beautiful promise of God's grace, and this covers just about everything in life that you could think of from Psalm 84. 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. And I just want to pause there for a second to say God is the sun that gives us life. Just as the sun in our solar system is the source of all of our life, God is the source of life and he is the protector of life. He is our shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, grace that we do not deserve. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And uprightly here doesn't mean perfection. Uprightly means I'm, I'm seeking to do what God says is right, knowing I'm going to fail along the way, knowing I'm going to need grace. But when we pursue him, when we are walking behind him, seeking to do his will, no good thing does he withhold 
And so God doesn't have a, a closed fist. God isn't teasing us. Some of you are like so sympathetic to my dog, honey. You're torturing her because you're holding this food there. And I can, I'm not, we're not torturing her. We're trying to train her and help her to understand that we want to be the ones to give you good things. We're withholding the things from you that are not good. We, we want to only give you good things. God is not teasing you. He's not tormenting you. If he has withheld something from you that you desperately want, it's, it's for one of two reasons. Either it's not good for you, period, and he'll never give it to you, or it's just not the right time. So don't reach out by force and try to take it. Wait so that you can experience the full blessing. If you're, if you're tempted to reach out and grab, then I got a prayer for you, and we'll end with this. This is a prayer that you can use. This week, when that temptation rises up, Lord, I will wait for you to give blank to me. And you know what that blank gets filled in with, whatever is tempting you right now. Don't forfeit all of the blessing that God wants to bestow on you. Wait for him and his timing. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a good, good father, that the gifts that you give to us, the gifts that you want to give to us, the timing in which you want to give them, those are all part of your perfect wisdom. And many times we're like Honey the puppy who does not understand that there are some things that really shouldn't be eating because it, it could actually mess me up really, really bad. And so help us to trust you, to recognize that you are in charge, to recognize that your timing is wise. Lord, I pray for the person who's here this morning who has never experienced the gift of your grace, which you have promised. Maybe they've been trying to earn it or trying to, to get you indebted to them to take by force uh, the, the salvation of, of being able to be in your favor. I pray for that person this morning to realize it's a gift that you offer and to receive that gift humbly before you. Thank you for being a good God who wants to bless us. Lord, strengthen, renew our faith to trust in you and your timing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.